Oh, look at yous, your feckless friggin' disappointments. Uh, give me one good reason I shouldn't throw the book at you. Welcome to episode 10 of the Genius of Thomas Sowell podcast. I'm your host, Alan Woolen. The other day, I took my father-in-law to the movies to see Steven Spielberg's film adaptation of the 1957 Broadway show, West Side Story. Wow, what a film. Do yourself a favor, pause this podcast right now and book tickets to see this film in the theater on the big screen. Don't wait until it's streaming online. This film is so good, I went back three days later with my wife. I just had to see it again in its full glory on a gigantic screen with booming sound. Not only was this film a masterpiece of cinematic excellence, incredible storytelling, fantastic music, and awesome dancing, but also many of the elements of the story are classic themes which Sowell discusses in his book, A Conflict of Visions. On today's podcast, I'd like to discuss two songs in particular, which are genius-level articulations of the classic conflict between what Sowell calls the tragic vision and the utopian vision. The lyrics to these songs were written by Stephen Sondheim, who died just one month ago at the age of 91, which coincidentally is Sowell's age right now. Both men were born in 1930 within three months of each other. I really have to hand it to Sondheim. The lyrics to these songs are such a perfect expression of the conflict between these two visions They say so much in so few words, and they do it with humor, clever rhyming, and thanks to Leonard Bernstein, who wrote the music, with some of the most memorable melodies to ever hit Broadway. Before we jump into the first song, I'd like to take a few minutes to lay out a broad outline of the two visions which Sowell distinguishes in A Conflict of Visions. Sowell describes two opposing and competing visions of human nature. The first one he calls the constrained vision, and the second one he calls the unconstrained vision. He sticks with this terminology in A Conflict of Visions, but in other books he uses different names sometimes. I'm not a huge fan of these terms because they're too bland. Plus, they kind of sound the same to my ear. Constrained sounds the same as unconstrained and it's easy to get them confused in your mind. It kind of reminds me of the old George Carlin bit about the word flammable. Yeah, some words are fun. Words like flammable. Flammable, inflammable, and non-inflammable. Why are there three? Doesn't it seem to you as though two words ought to be able to handle that idea? I mean, either the thing flams or it doesn't flam. So for this discussion, I'm going to discard the constrained words and use the term Sowell gives us in other books. He calls the constrained vision the tragic vision and the unconstrained vision the utopian vision. Let's go with that. Tragic versus utopian. I like that. For Sowell, 
The tragic vision sees human beings as inherently flawed and imperfect. Holders of the tragic vision believe that social institutions must be built and maintained with this in mind to compensate for man's selfish and dangerous impulses. In addition, social institutions so designed will themselves produce unfortunate side effects, which must be accepted along the way, there being no other viable alternative. The utopian vision, on the other hand, sees man as basically good and infinitely perfectible. Morals are paramount, and intentions are what matters. Holders of this vision believe that by perfecting the social institutions around him, that man can and should be his best self, and will approach perfection over time. Here's a key quote from the book. Quote, The utopian vision is a moral vision of human intentions, which are viewed as ultimately decisive. This vision promotes pursuit of the highest ideals and the best solutions. By contrast, the tragic vision sees the best as the enemy of the good, a vain attempt to reach the unattainable, being seen as not only futile, but often counterproductive, while the same efforts could have produced a more viable and beneficial trade-off. End quote. For someone with the tragic vision, trade-offs are crucial. For someone with the utopian vision, approaching the ideal is paramount, and costs are not the focus. As Sowell says, quote, Ideals are weighed against the costs of achieving them in the tragic vision. But in the utopian vision, every closer approximation to the ideal should be preferred. Costs are regrettable, but by no means decisive. End quote. Let's jump into the first West Side Story song I'd like to discuss today. It's called America. This song takes the form of an argument between the Puerto Rican women and their men who recently immigrated to New York City. The women are in love with their new home, America, while the men criticize their new home and long for their idealized memories of life back in Puerto Rico. Right now might be a good time for you to pause this podcast and spend five minutes listening to the full song called America. I put a link in the show notes to the YouTube video of the soundtrack from the film. I'll be playing some clips of the song here, but to get the full effect, try to listen to the whole song uninterrupted first. Here's the first clip. This is the introduction to the song. Rosalia is reflecting on the beauty of Puerto Rico with its tropical breezes, pineapple trees, and coffee blossoms. But she also remembers the dark side of her homeland 
the many children all around, the babies crying, the poverty, the money owing, and the people trying, by which I assume she means the people struggling to make ends meet. Interestingly, in the original Broadway version of this song, instead of the lyric saying, and the people trying, they said, and the bullets flying. Even worse. This is a classic soul theme running through many of his books. He says we often idealize third world countries for their natural beauty and indigenous customs. In Intellectuals and Society, Sowell wrote, quote, They have romanticized cultures that have left people mired in poverty, violence, disease, and chaos, while trashing cultures that have led the world in prosperity, medical advances, and law and order. In doing so, they have often disregarded or even filtered out the fact that masses of people were fleeing the societies intellectuals romanticized to go to the societies they condemned. End quote. In this clip, the women are proudly and unapologetically saying they prefer the island of Manhattan to the island of Puerto Rico. And that's what the rest of the song argues about. This is an interesting clip which gets at the heart of America's capitalistic system. The women are saying everything free in America, and I doubt they are saying that you don't have to pay for anything. They are more likely referring to the personal freedom one enjoys in America. Bernardo misinterprets this sentiment and points out that what they think is free, they really have to pay for, for a small fee in America. Bernardo seems to represent a utopian vision of the world in which everything should be truly free and you don't have to pay for anything. The women don't mind paying for this personal freedom, and they are comfortable with the trade-off this represents, a more tragic vision of the world. Buying on credit is so nice. One look at us and they charge twice. Here, Anita is touting the advantages of the availability of credit in a consumer-based society. Bernardo responds by saying the system is racist and that shopkeepers charge them more when they see they are from Puerto Rico. Sowell talks about this issue a great deal in his many economics books. In his view, it is only a competitive capitalist system which makes practicing racial discrimination very costly to businessmen and will lead to such businesses going bankrupt. Does Bernardo really think that no one will notice if Puerto Ricans get charged more than whites for the same products and that they will continue to patronize those shops? I have my own washing machine. What do you have though to keep clean? Rosalia is enamored of the modern conveniences which are available in wealthy societies. Bernardo counters that buying those conveniences will leave one poorer. Rosales surely knows that washing machines cost money, which might mean owning fewer clothes. But she seems to prefer deciding for herself if she wants to make that trade-off. Here the women are singing about the wonders of a wealthy society, tall buildings, fancy cars, booming industries. 
The men counter that they still have to pack too many people into small apartments. Sowell talks about this issue in several of his books. New immigrants often prefer to live in overcrowded conditions as a way of saving money as they build a new life. Both in order to send money to family back in their home countries, as well as in order to save money to invest in businesses, to buy tools and equipment, which will help them rise out of poverty. In other words, those crowded living conditions are a conscious choice and strategy to invest in a more prosperous future. We all face this decision in many areas of our consumption. Do I drive an expensive car and enjoy the comfort and luxury it provides? Or do I drive an inexpensive car, forego that comfort, and invest the money I save in more productive assets like stocks and small businesses? Sowell says that living in crowded conditions is more of a feature for these immigrants than a bug, and they willingly choose that as a means of moving up the economic ladder. Lots of new housing with more space. Lots of new slamming in our face. I'll get a terrace apartment. Better get rid of your accent. Anita is dreaming of living in a large and luxurious apartment while Bernardo insists no one will rent to her because of her foreign accent and Puerto Rican heritage. They sing, lots of doors slamming in our face. Sowell would make the same point here that he makes about shopkeepers above, that landlords which discriminate in this manner will carry vacant apartments longer than landlords who don't, and will ultimately be punished by the marketplace for such discrimination. Life can be bright in America If you can fight in America Life is all right in America If you're all white in America Here you are free and you have pride Long as you stay on your own side Free to do anything you choose Free to wait tables and shine shoes Once again, the theme of racial discrimination gets argued between the two sides. Bernardo ends by declaring that the society will keep his people down and relegate them to only the most menial jobs, like waiting tables and shining shoes. Sowell would counter that immigrants from all countries, regardless of skin color, often start by doing the jobs the natives don't care to do, and that they rarely stay in those ranks but instead rise up over time to better compensated and more prestigious work as their skills progress. He devotes many pages in his landmark book, Basic Economics, to demonstrating that very few people who start out in the bottom of the income scale remain there years later, that upward mobility is a hallmark of a capitalist society, and that there is absolutely no shame in starting at the bottom and working your way up. Everywhere crime in America, organized crime in America, terrible time in America. You forget I'm in America. Anita is flatly rejecting Bernardo's arguments about how horrible America is. She politely reminds him that she considers herself an American. So think twice about criticizing my new chosen home. I think I go back to San Juan. I know about you can get on. Bye bye. Everyone there will give big cheers. Hey! Everyone there would have moved here. Oh, oh, oh. 
In this stanza, Anita calls Bernardo's bluff. When he says he is thinking of going back to Puerto Rico, she offers to help him get to the boat, knowing full well he will stay in New York. She knows he is just bluffing and has no intention of ever leaving. It's all just moral preening. So in this song, we see the conflict between two visions. The women in the song represent Sowell's tragic vision. They know life is not perfect anywhere, and it never will be. They recognize there are no final solutions to life's problems, and that there will always be trade-offs in everything you do. They have weighed the pros and cons of living in New York, and prefer it to all other alternatives. The men represent Sowell's utopian vision of the world. They have voted with their feet to come to America, but because it's not perfect, they idealize where they came from and criticize their new home for its imperfections. Now let's turn our attention to another song from West Side Story, which dramatizes the conflict of visions which Sowell describes on a different subject. This song is called G. Officer Krupke. Check the show notes for a link to the full YouTube audio of this song as well. Try to listen to the full song first, then come back to this spot in the podcast for our discussion of the lyrics. Dear kindly Sergeant Krupke, you gotta understand. It's just our bringing up key that gets us out of hand. Our mothers are our junkies. Our fathers are our drunks. Golly Moses, naturally we're punks. Gee, Officer Krupke, we're very upset. We never had the love that every child ought to get. We ain't no delinquents, we're misunderstood. Deep down inside us, there is good. This song dramatizes a classic soul theme, that of crime. The tragic vision of human nature says that there will always be crime. There will always be some people who want to take what others have. And that swift punishment for this behavior is the only way to keep crime in check, even though it will never solve the problem once and for all. The utopian vision of human nature, on the other hand, views crime as only resulting from imperfect social arrangements and that all crime could be eliminated if only society were organized in just the correct way. This song takes place in a police station where boys were arrested after having been caught committing crimes. The boys are pleading with the officer that their behavior is not their fault, that it's only the result of a bad environment growing up. This is the root causes theory of crime. Sowell says on this subject, quote, The kind of people who talk about the root causes of crime never include leniency. End quote. There is good, there is good, there is good, there is untapped good, like inside the worst of us is good. This stanza dramatizes the reaction to the boy's story from the point of view of the tragic vision, the classic tell-it-to-the-judge deflection. In other words, we don't want to hear your lame excuses. Get ready to be punished 
for what you did. Kindly touch your honor. My parents treat me rough with all their marijuana. They won't give me a puff. They didn't want to have me, but somehow I was had. Leaping lizards, that's why I'm so bad. Right, Officer Krupke, you're really a square. This boy don't need a judge, he needs a analyst care. It's just his neurosis that ought to be cursed. He's psychologically disturbed. I'm disturbed! We're disturbed, we're disturbed, we're the most disturbed. Like we're psychologically disturbed. In this scene, the boys make their case before the judge. We didn't want to be this way, they say. It's only our bad upbringing that made us this way. We're not perpetrators, Your Honor. We're actually victims of a rotten upbringing. Hey, 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 in the opinion of this court, the boy's depraved that a county ain't at a normal hall. Hey, I'm depraved on account I'm deprived. Take this nut to a head shrink. Oh, why not? No, no, no. Come on. Go, go, go. My father is a bastard. My ma's an SOB. My grandpa's always plastered. My grandma pushes tea. My sister wears a mustache. My brother wears a dress. Goodness gracious, that's why I'm a mess. In this scene, the judge buys into the boys' arguments and attributes their criminal behavior to their poor upbringing, which is not their fault. Instead of punishment for their crimes, the judge orders therapeutic treatment from a psychiatrist. In the next clip, the therapist prescribes work for his patient, not prison. Yes, Officer Klepke, you're really a slob. This boy don't need a doctor, just a good, honest job. Society's played him a terrible trick. And sociologically, he's sick. I am sick. We are sick. We are sick. We are sick. Sick, sick. Like we're sociologically sick. In the next clip, the boys get passed from a therapist to a social worker who will try to help them find gainful employment as a cure for their criminal tendencies. In my professional opinion, what we got here is a runner's a meal juvenile delinquent, and juvenile delinquency is a social disease. He's easy, he a social disease? Bring him to a social worker. Wait, can I catch it by touching him? Social worker, they say go earn a buck, like be a soda jerker, which means like be a schmuck. It's not I'm anti-social, I'm only anti-work. That's why I'm a jerk. In this passage, the boy candidly admits he's not sick. He just doesn't like to work. Sowell says on this subject, quote, The biggest secret is that there are no secrets, unless work is a secret. Work seems to be the only four-letter word that cannot be used in public today. End quote. The song ends with this passage, which is a clash of the two visions coming to a head. One side says the boys are bad and should be locked up as punishment, while the other side clings to the vision that the boys' criminality is a reflection of bad circumstances out of their control. The trouble is he drinks. The trouble is he's lazy. The trouble is he's 
trouble is he stinks. The trouble is he's growing. The trouble is he's grown. Rocky, we got troubles of our own. Social disease. G office is These two songs were written and performed on Broadway in 1957, which is 64 years ago. It's amazing when you think about it that our society has still not resolved these fundamental issues. They are still being argued over. Is America a good place or a bad place? Is racism and discrimination a unique feature of the American story? Or is it just human nature that needs to be contained and managed, and will never fully be solved. Can society ever be perfected, or will we always have to manage the pros and cons of life's trade-offs? What's the best way to deal with crime? Therapeutic rehabilitation, or retributive punishment and deterrence? When it comes to the fighting between the sharks and jets in West Side Story, Sowell says this in his book, Is Reality Optional? Quote, in my old neighborhood, there was a special contempt for the kind of guy who was always trying to get other guys to fight each other. Today, it's considered a great contribution to society to incite consumers against producers, women against men, and the races against each other. End quote. When it comes to the leaders of the Sharks and the Jets, Sowell says this, quote, the time is long overdue to stop looking for progress through racial or ethnic leaders. Such leaders have too many incentives to promote polarizing attitudes and actions that are counterproductive for minorities and disastrous for the country. End quote. I'm Alan Wolin, and this has been Episode 10 of the Genius of Thomas Sowell Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thank you.